If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. I have many stories, but these stick out for me. Camping in the Alberta foothills in a remote place with my mom. We're just finishing up dinner, probably crap dinner, and it's dusk and we hear it crashing through the woods. The dog starts to go crazy and we watch. Frozen as a moose yearling comes barreling towards and past our sight, trailed closely by a large black bear. Doesn't get more canic than that. Decades later, I'm female 30. On a solo me, cation with my dog in the West Kootenays. 16,000 up a logging road from the nearest pavement, and I ditched my car to backpack down and camp on a deserted white sand beach. I see no one all day, so I'm swimming and suntanning and drinking and smoking weed in the nude, just generally being my degenerate granola self. At one point, a fisherman trolls by and there are some far-off boats, but that's the most human interaction I have. I stoke a huge fire and play loud tunes. Bedtime comes and I shut down my sight and tuck the dog in the tent with my axe and hunting knife and we pass out. I wake up hours later to the sound of footsteps in the sand, not really getting closer, almost as if whoever it is is circling at a distance. It sounded like human feet with back front transfer. All my hair stands up on end, and I immediately regret being the naked, drunk, 
chick right in the huge signal fire to let me creep within eyesight know where I am. I sat in that tent, gripping my axe in one hand and my knife in the other as I waited to be murdered by some backwood psycho next to my wimp dog. Eventually, the footsteps faded away. I'd like to think it was a bear or cougar, but my spidey senses still think it was a two-legged danger beast. Left like a bat out to hell the next morning. The sun hung low on the horizon as our group of friends set out on our daring adventure. We'd had heard rumors of an uncharted area in the park. A place said to be a hotbed for cryptid activity. Intrigued by the unknown, we decided to explore this hidden realm. Navigating through dense undergrowth and over fallen logs, we stumbled upon a hidden valley. Ancient trees towered above us, casting long shadows over peculiar markings etched into the ground. Excitement coursed through our veins as we realized we had discovered something extraordinary. As night settled in, the forest took on a life of its own. Strange sounds echoed through the air, unseen creatures stirring in the darkness. We huddled closer together, our nervous laughter masking our growing unease. Suddenly, from the depths of the forest emerged a towering figure, a massive bipedal creature with the unmistakable silhouette of a dogman. Its eyes glowed with an otherworldly intensity as it let out a bone-chilling howl, warning us to leave its sacred domain. Fear consumed us as we scattered, desperate to escape the wrath of this supernatural guardian. But the dogman was relentless, its powerful strides closing in on us with each passing moment. One by one, our cries of terror were silenced as the creature unleashed its deadly fury. Morning arrived, casting a faint light upon the valley. Park ranger Joe happened to pass by, curiosity piqued by the eerie stillness that hung in the air. Drawn by an inexplicable force, he ventured into the valley, unaware of the horrors that had transpired. His footsteps faltered as he stumbled upon the grisly scene. The lifeless bodies of my friends lay strewn across the ground, a testament to the ferocity of the dogman's attack. Overwhelmed by the sight, Joe's consciousness faltered, and he fell into unconsciousness. What happened in that valley would forever haunt our memories. The dogman had claimed this all, leaving no survivors. As for Joe, his fate remained uncertain, suspended in the realm between awareness and oblivion. The sun continued its ascent, casting its warm light upon the valley. Nature resumed its tranquil facade, concealing the secrets of the cryptid realm once more. The park would forever bear witness to the tragic tale of our ill-fated expedition, a cautionary reminder of the dangers that lurk in the unknown corners of our world. Hey everyone, last night I remembered a time I think I experienced sleep paralysis. I say sleep paralysis because I have no other logical explanation for what had happened. It was years ago and I couldn't sleep at all. At around 4 a.m. in the morning, the door to my bedroom was opened and out came a woman who looked very similar to my mother. Only she was eerily pale and had a crack in her face as if she was made out of porcelain. Her hair was wiry and she hunched over. My heart was pounding as I saw her and she said in a low, rumbling tone to go to bed, but it came across almost like a threat, pointing her long nails at me. I tried to scream, but I 
I couldn't get the word to escape my lips. It was as if they were sewn shut. Camping every summer on a lake in a very rural part of our state. This lake has no houses on it as it was state land, and I later learned that camping was prohibited, but we would load up our aluminum rowboat and make three trips across the lake with enough gear and firewood to last five, seven days. We always camped out on a narrow peninsula that had a clearing big enough for three, four tents and spent our days fishing and swimming. The lake wasn't huge, but in order to hike to where we were camped, it was about five miles from the nearest road. One summer night when I was 11 or 12, I set up my tent further into the woods, about 100 feet away from where my parents and younger brother were sleeping. I had recently discovered masturbation and didn't want to put my tent near my parents where they might hear me fapping. Anyhow, things start off like usual. My dad takes me and my brother fishing while my mom starts making her famous camping stir-fry and we all have a great night around the campfire. Eventually, we all retire to our tents and sleep for the night. At around 3 a.m., I woke up to the sound of slow footsteps. Crunch. Stop. Crunch. Stop. Closer and closer the sound got. My heart started racing. I was old enough to not feel like a kid, but in that moment I was totally down for the hide under the blankets, and the monsters can't get you defense. At that time, my major fears were aliens and Bigfoot, so I was certain that something was approaching my tent to abduct me and or drag me off into the wilderness. I hunkered down in a fetal position, safe in my sleeping bag, and the sound just kept getting closer. Eventually, the Bigfoot alien was right outside my tent, just standing in silence. Then it exhaled with the lung capacity of a woolly mammoth whoosh, dropped a handful of what sounded like jelly beans, turned around, walked back into the forest. I never really got back to sleep, but a few hours later under the safety of the rising sun I mustered the bravery to leave my tent and survey the area. Directly outside my tent was a pile of deer shit and a couple of fresh tracks. The woods are scary. I've always been drawn to the secrets of the past, the whisper of ancient civilizations, their stories etched into the very earth. So when I moved to this small New Mexico town nestled near the ruins of the Anasazi, it felt like coming home. Little did I know I had awakened a nightmare. The day I found the relic, a strange stone figurine, was the day our quiet town was cast into a shadow of fear. It started with the echoes eerie, wordless whispers that seemed to come from the ruins themselves. Then the animals began to act, strangely, their eyes filled with a primal fear. And then the deaths began. Each body we found was more horribly mangled than the last. Their deaths, a gruesome mystery that sent waves of fear through our close-knit community. It was during these dark days that I met the local Navajo elder, a man named gray owl who held the keys to our salvation. He told me of the skinwalker, a malevolent spirit capable of shifting forms between man, beast, and mist. The relic I had unearthed, he said, had trapped the spirit for centuries, and in my ignorance I had set it free. Fueled by a desperate need to undo my mistake, I found myself drawn into the world of Navajo legends. Grey Owl became my guide as we delved into the history of the Skinwalker, 
searching for its weaknesses for a way to put the spirit to rest. We were plagued by horrifying visions of the skinwalker, its form twisting and changing before our eyes. Its growls haunted our dreams, its presence a chilling undercurrent in every shadow, and all the while the death toll continued to rise. But we pressed on, piecing together the fragments of ancient lore, fighting against the clock and the creeping dread that threatened to consume us. The skinwalker was a creature of malice and trickery, but it was not invincible. Every creature, Grey Owl insisted, had a weakness. When we discovered it, it was almost too simple. The skinwalker could not resist answering to its true name. And so, armed with this knowledge, we embarked on the most dangerous part of our journey, to call out the beast and bind it once more. The night we confronted the skinwalker was one I will never forget. The wind howled through the ruins of the Anasazi, carrying with it the echoes of the past. As Grey Owl chanted the skinwalker's true name, the air grew thick with a malevolent energy. And then it appeared. It was a terrifying sight, shifting from man to beast to mist, its form barely contained by the mortal realm. But Grey Owl stood strong, his voice unwavering as he repeated the name, binding the spirit with the power of its own identity. With a final bone-rattling howl, the skinwalker was pulled back into the relic, its form shrinking and twisting until all that was left was an eerie silence. The relief that washed over me was tainted with the bitter taste of regret. But with Grey Owl's guidance, I learned to forgive myself. We had put the spirit to rest, returned peace to our town. But the echoes of the past remained a haunting reminder of the ancient powers that lay just beneath the surface, waiting for the unwary to awaken them. My college took a bunch of us youth mentors on a camping trip without the kids for bonding and leadership skills before the kids camped with us the following week. To preface this is a college-sponsored event that was drug and alcohol-free, and none of us were drinking or smoking weed. Our camp guide wanted to take us on a night hike without flashlights. The guide at the front was the only one using a flashlight, while the rest of us holding hands had to rely on good communication from the person in front of you. Before the hike, he was burning sage around us for protection and told us we might see unexplainable sights. My best friend and I looked at other like what smoke shack did he come from. As we were hiking, I noticed the moonlight looked very sparkly like little balls of light descending down on one part of the trail. At the time, I didn't know what it was, but looking back, I think they were orbs. We walked some more, then I felt something following us. I looked up at the top of the tree and the shadow effortlessly hopping tree to tree, watching us from below on the trail. I nudged my friend and whispered to look up, and she gasped and held my hand tighter. After the hike, my friend and I talked about the shadow that followed us and how it kept a safe distance from us. Others said they saw the shadow, too, and our guide said it was Native American warrior ghost protecting his area. My family and I went camping in Alaska last year. It was very remote, and we were the only people we knew of in this area camping. 
When we woke up in the morning, my phone was at the entrance of the tent, which immediately creeped me out because I had placed it inside my bag in the tent. I had decided that I must have gotten it out during the night and forgot. Later that day, I get into my photos to send some pics of my kids to my parents. As I am clicking on pics to send, I become sick to my stomach. There is a picture of my family sleeping, including me, taken with my phone. I showed my husband and we made the choice to leave instead of stay another night. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Late to the party, I know. And not sea, air, or wilderness, but nine months or so ago, I was exploring this 100-plus-year-old, mostly abandoned sewer system. It connects to old privies, and I was looking for old bottles and crap. I have strange hobbies, whatever, get over it. So I noticed this wire coming out of a borehole, followed it for a few blocks, and found an old-school rotary phone sitting on the floor, picked it up, and it had a dial tone. No idea who put it there, why they did how long it had been there, or where it was plugged in at the surface. I was very tempted to call myself to get the phone number, but since I was trespassing, I got paranoid and decided it was probably a bad idea. The tunnel where the phone was sitting was entirely abandoned, bone dry, and dead ended in collapse, probably about forty, fifty feet below the surface, still quite confused about it. A friend was there a few weeks ago and said he found it too, still had a dial tone. No clue what is up with that phone. My family owns a small area of land out in the middle of nowhere in Missouri. This is not a commercial campground either. The nearest person is miles away. I haven't been back to this area in six years since my grandfather owned it and he has since passed away. We were planning a trip to the campground and it takes about three hours to get from where I lived at the time to the site going from highways eventually down isolated back roads. I rode down there with my grandfather, just me and him and his truck. My parents and sister planned to arrive the next day. When we arrived, it was in the late evening, so we didn't have much time to get everything unpacked before dark. So my grandfather just set up a tent and had us sleep in it until dawn. All on the property is a small, semi-run-down RV trailer, and the remains of an abandoned old hunting cabin with half the roof caved in. To this day, I have no idea where this cabin came from, or who used it, or why it was destroyed. From where our tent was, I could see right inside that cabin. I could not fall asleep in the tent. It was fully zipped, but the small screen window was left open to allow cool air to drift inside. As I stared out into the dark, I could see a pair of glowing yellowish-blue eyes like cat or deer eyes coming from inside the cabin. As a young kid, I had no idea animal eyes did this and informed my grandfather who told me it was an animal and to go back to sleep. But every time I tried to sleep, I would wake up and see those eyes staring at the tent. 
and I had woken up multiple times between the hours of ten at night and three a.m. to still see those eyes staring. Somehow I eventually passed out, and when I woke up the next morning, I looked inside the cabin to see if any metal object could be glinting and cause the illusion. There were no metal objects in sight. Why would an object gleam at night? And if it were an animal, why didn't it leave and walk away? Surely an animal would have left between those hours. After my grandfather passed, I never went back to that campsite, according to my father. It's because he doesn't want to go there anymore. I was around 12 or 13 and in middle school at the time, waiting around at the bus stop the sun was rising. I was mindlessly looking around when I caught a glimpse of something quite large in a tall tree. It looked heavy-set and I could make out wings. I saw it move a little and I freaked out, set out to run, and then I saw the bus. I turned around and the creature was gone. I figured I'd totally imagined the whole thing. I was very tired. It was early, whatever. Fast forward a few weeks and it's about 9 p.m. and dark outside. I'm in my room watching TV when all of a sudden I hear banging on my window and yelling. I look out my window to see my best friend. I open the window and, like a crazy person, climbs through telling me to close the window. Turns out he claimed to have saw something in the park, huge with wings, and it was chasing him from the park. The park was a short walk from my house, less than ten minutes. This is the last time I hear about the creature until my sister called me a month or so ago and was asking me about the creature I saw. I told her it was years ago. I don't remember a whole hell of a lot about it, and I figured I hallucinated it, or just plain made it up. She starts telling me about a story her husband was telling her about a flying creature that chased him and his friends at that same park in the middle of the night. What he recounted seemed pretty accurate to my experience. To the best of my knowledge, the creature reminded me of a gargoyle. I can try to recount more or get more info from my brother-in-law if there's any interest. In 2002, just two weeks before Christmas, I decided to go coyote hunting by myself. I was having trouble sleeping. No one knew I had left as it's around 11.30 p.m. No cell phones of any kind. Bad idea. I started my trek, as always, down a well-used trail until I reached a steep section covered with multiflora rose bushes. However, I had previously cut a path, and it wasn't hard to navigate, even in the snow that had been falling. I continued down the hill until reaching the large ravine that sets not too far behind my house. Then, moving to my left, I went about another hundred yards or so to where the terrain planes out and you can cross a shallow stream. I crossed the stream and proceeded to walk up the long, snow-covered hillside trail. After reaching the top, I went into action, setting up all of my gear and finding a spot with a good backrest and nice firing lanes. My back rested against a large pile of crushed slate. My eye was shotgun leveled across my knees. I quietly sat there, getting colder and colder as more snow covered by the minute. After 45 minutes to an hour, I decided to quit and pack everything up. This is when things got scary. I grabbed my red, filtered one mil candle power field spotlight. When I turned it on, I saw it around 10 feet away, nose to the ground in my direction on all fours. The light coming on didn't even startle or phase the creature. It's like it knew right where I was and knew the light would be on it at any second. 
It then took a step toward me and lifted up on the two legs. It didn't creak or crack when standing up. The only noise that I could note was a low, deep-sounding pop in the rib-slash-sternum area. It stretched out and puffed its chest as if it wasn't big enough. I would have to say that I was at least seven, eight feet tall, with five finger hands with two-inch claws. This dogman-slash-cryptid canine never did open its mouth, so I can't comment on teeth. It took a step toward me as I had my shotgun already leveled. I fired a shot that hit it in the right mid-upper portion of its ribs. Mind you that hitting something this close with a .12-gauge shotgun usually causes a major hole and nothing could walk away from it. I was using two shot and the wad would have barely opened by the time it hit the creature. The shot let loose a mist of blood in the red-tinged light of the spotting lamp. It let out a loud yelp, then tucked its ears and ran to my right. It made it out of the light circle in two strides. I fired two more times at it, but it was much too quick and I missed. I got up and started walking in the direction it ran, forgetting momentarily to reload my shotgun. I walked for about ten feet and found a large pool of blood, then walked a few more feet and found less blood. This process repeated until I was around thirty feet from where I initially started and there's no blood to be, just footprints. It's as if this thing could quickly regenerate or something to heal itself of such a massive wound. I stopped and realized how stupid I was for going after this thing after it just got wounded. I didn't know if there may have been more of these creatures in the area or if they hunted in packs. I just thought I'd encountered a real-life werewolf. I then trudged home in the night with a surely wounded God knows what potentially circling me the whole way as I go. I took my time getting back. It took me two hours to walk what normally took twenty, thirty minutes. I made it back home, went to bed, and never spoke of that night again until 2019. I hardly hunt more due to health problems, but even if I was healthy going back out there, you would always be looking over your shoulder. However, I'm working on getting a group of professional cryptid researchers to come take a look. I believe it was 2005. I was driving around at approximately 12.30 a.m. with three of my friends in my car. We stopped so my friend and I could relieve ourselves off of Canandaigua Road down a dirt driveway. I knew the driveway was there having seen it during the daytime. It was just a place where the town of Farmington, New York, Ontario County, would dump old asphalt. I was on the driver's side of the car my friend on the passenger side, and both of us looking in opposite directions. I saw something on the top of a small hill, maybe fifty feet in front of me. I thought it was a tree initially, but it turned and started moving from my left to my right. It was very tall, at least eight feet, maybe ten feet, extremely long arms that stretched down to their knees, it was gray or white in color, and had somewhat of a small head. The words that came to me were, WTF is that? But before I could utter those words, my friend said, WTF is that? I turned to get back into the car, which I left running, but with headlights off, and I saw another one in the direction he was facing. It was absolutely terrifying, and if I had a gun with me, I wouldn't have done anything. But what I did was drive away as fast as possible. The other people in my car caught a glimpse of these creatures, but not as well as my friend Rob and I. Initially, I could only assume they were aliens. They did not 
look like a monkey or Bigfoot or anything like that. They had no fur or hair and were skinny and just very scary looking. I assumed they were very dangerous and of all the time I've spent outdoors, in the woods and in rural or mountainous areas, I've never seen anything like those things. After that, I hadn't seen Rob in several years as we lost contact with each other. I ran into him in a gas station about eight years later, and the first thing he said to me was, Hey, do you remember when we saw those things out in the middle of nowhere? The memory to him was just the same as mine, and upon seeing me, that was the first thing that popped into his mind and mine as well. Recently, speaking to a friend of mine who has a lot of interest in supernatural and paranormal things, I told her the story, and she suggested that they were skinwalkers. She found some pictures that were animated of what they might look like. I definitely think that is what we had seen out there that night. I would absolutely love some insight into what these things are and why they may have been there. It does terrify me to think they had some kind of ominous purpose or could have been dangerous, but I'd still love to know. Thanks for taking the time to get back to me and read this. I will attach the picture my friend Bailey sent me, which is a very good depiction of what I saw. Also, I will send the exact location of where this encounter occurred. Thank you very much. My girlfriend and I were staying in a pop-up camper's campground hosts at Cascadia State Park in Cascadia, Oregon, about 13 miles east of Sweet Home, Oregon, during the summer of 2003. I had played some Bigfoot recordings approximately 20 minutes before getting into bed. Shortly after laying down, sounds started coming from the woods directly behind the camper. It sounded like a buck snorting, but much louder. Limbs were being broken continuously. My girlfriend and I were scared and I would not get up to go and see what was going on. The sounds subsided within about five minutes. One week later, I played the sounds again through my computer speakers and the same experience happened. This time it sounded as though there was a landslide as well. The next morning, one of the campers told the ranger about hearing some strange noises and something that sounded like a landslide. My girlfriend and I never smelled anything out of the ordinary. We just heard loud snorting sounds and limbs or trees being broken. Whatever it was, it sounded mad. I promised that this took place back in the summer of 2003, and I'm not saying for sure it was a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch. I honestly do not know what it was, but I do know that I was too scared to do any investigating at the time. My girlfriend and I went into the woods the following day, but we could not find any tracks. I grew up about 18 miles from Fook, Arkansas, is where a Bigfoot creature has been reportedly been seen. I'm currently living in Atlanta, Texas, which is about 30 miles from Caddo Lake, where you recently filmed a Mysterious Encounters episode. I just wanted to share this information about what I experienced during the summer of 2003 with you.